At Taproot, when we read the Bible out loud, we believe that we are participating in a deeply spiritually formative um, discipline. I invite you to not just passively listen, but to actively engage with this reading of God's word. Today, we're going to go, uh, we're going to be going through the book of Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. After the reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and I invite you to respond prayerfully by saying, speak, Lord, your servants here. So Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Hey, Taproot Familia, good morning. Hey, thank you, Sarah, for that. That was powerful. Thank you. Really appreciate that. That was great. Thank you so much. Um, hey, a couple things as we get started, you guys. Uh, first of all, everybody, welcome. Uh, if this is your first uh, time at Taproot, we are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, here is what our church is all about. Our church, Taproot Church, exists to make disciples of Jesus. We will then equip those disciples and we will send them out on the mission of bringing the king and his kingdom everywhere every day. That's what our church is all about. Uh, this morning also is uh, Family Sunday. So on the fourth Sunday of every month, uh, kids uh, K through our last class are in the uh, gathering space with us, worshiping with us, sitting under the uh, preaching of God's word together. And it is a joy to have uh, our, our kiddos in the room today. So uh, it's great. So um, If you've got your Bibles, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, keep them open to the book of Colossians chapter 1. We are going to look at verses 21 through 23 this morning. And just as a means of reminder, here is what has been happening in the book of Colossians so far. You know, there have been some, there were some false teachers who were creeping their way into the Colossian church and many, many followers of Jesus were being tempted to turn away, to give up on this Jesus thing. And so uh, Paul is, is writing this letter to the Colossians to encourage these saints, to, to equip these saints, this church to persevere, to remain steadfast, to remain faithful to Jesus as they are running this race called life with all the difficulty and all the brokenness and all the curveballs that it often throws our way. Paul is encouraging these saints to remain faithful and to remain courageous in an age of disbelief. He is equipping them to engage the world around them without losing their grip on Jesus. Remember that we, as followers of Jesus, we are to be an embassy of heaven, a safe place, representatives of Jesus. And we are to be the intermingling of the presence of God in our community, all while 
firm in the gospel. We are to engage, we are to influence, and even make culture all while standing on the solid ground of the gospel. That is what Paul is trying to do, equip and encourage and exhort these dear saints in Colossae and us in 2019 South Seattle. Last week, we looked at verses 15 through 20, the Christ hymn. Paul was most likely quoting a hymn about Jesus and to Jesus that was known among the churches that Paul was in partnership with. We said last week that sometimes more is required than a mere academic statement of truth. We said sometimes truth is so beautiful, so glorious, so rich that it makes us sing, that it demands that we sing. Sometimes truth is too beautiful for prose, that it requires the praise. And so in those verses we looked at last week, Paul is trying to focus our attention to turn our eyes to the glory, to the power, to the beauty, and to the greatness of Jesus. There were false teachers who were, like I said, weeding their way into this church, and they were undermining the uniqueness and the dignity and the beauty and the glory of Jesus. And so Paul is writing to set that whole thing straight. So Paul shows us Jesus as Lord, God, preeminent, first over creation, as Lord, God, first, preeminent in our salvation. And we were challenged as individuals, as followers of Jesus, to put Jesus first in our lives, in our minds, in our desires, in our emotions, in our hearts, in our priorities, in our calendar, in our checkbook, in our relationships, in our work, in our hobbies. We, we beheld Jesus last week, and we were challenged with this question, what do we do with a Jesus like that? Not tame, not containable, not easily dismissed, but vast and glorious and powerful and beautiful. What do we do with a Jesus like that? Like Mr. Beaver said in the Chronicles of Narnia, of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. I tell you, what do you do with a Jesus who is not safe, but who is incredibly good? What do you do with that kind of Jesus? You don't marginalize him. You don't presume upon him. You don't, you don't just treat him as an add-on or tack him on to your list of things to do. But instead, we abandon ourselves before him. All that we are. So Paul displayed for us in these five verses the beauty, the glory, the majesty, the sufficiency of the person of Jesus. And now, some might legitimately ask, well, if that is who Jesus is, what's the big deal? So what? What is the difference that this exalted Jesus makes that is a legitimate question people might have that we might have had at some point in our lives well i would argue that verses 21 through 23 will feather out the answer to those questions in these verses we will see that jesus makes all the difference 
in the world. What we will see in these verses, in my personal opinion, is one of the best summaries of what the gospel is and how it affects us, how it affects people. Here is what we'll, we'll see in these verses, who we were, what was our problem, the bad news in our predicament, who we are now by grace through Jesus. This is God's solution and the answer to the problem and how we go on. What now? What is required of those who have responded to Jesus and who are seeking to live out the Christian life and follow Jesus? What now? Who we were, who we are now, and how do we go on? How does Jesus affect us now? The nowness of the gospel. This is our Story. Now, before we dive in, let me just read to you this text in the message translation, just because I really appreciated how uh, they um, <coughs> uh, put these thoughts, and then we'll pray. This is what the message translation says. You yourselves are a case study of what he does. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God, thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble every chance you got. But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side and put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. I love this line. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven gets this same message. I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. Speak to us. Would you somehow use me, this imperfect vessel to communicate your truths. I pray that your spirit would do a work that is only in his hands capable to do. Would he, would he move in this room and apply these truths to our hearts and help us to see beautiful things. May he guide us into all truth. May he convict us of sin. May he encourage us and equip us. Lord, May he help us to see the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. And may that sent, uh, may, 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 as we see Jesus, may our roots go even more deeply grounded. And may we be immovable, God. May we grow from there and flourish as we look at Jesus. I pray this in your name. <coughs> Amen. Okay, how many of you guys have ever had something like this happen? You're not feeling quite well, something's not right, but you're not quite sure what it is. Some of you guys might have even gone to the doctor, you even had a diagnose and began treatment, and as time goes on, it is quite clear that the symptoms are not lining up with the diagnose, and the treatment is not really working. Anybody ever had something like that happen? Yeah. Or how about ever try to diagnose something online? <laughs> you know, you have a headache or you have a stomachache or some, some muscle or joint pain and you type in your symptoms on Google and you try to find out what 
is going on and how to treat it, and, as you, and you wait for the results. And all of a sudden, you are shocked but because, because of what was just a simple muscle ache or pain, according to WebMD, uh, is how now you will go and meet Jesus. <laughs> how many of you guys have seen that happen? It goes from zero to 60 like that, and you're like, oh my word. You know, it's, it's terrifying. It's crazy. And I am not very smart, and I have done this more than one time. <clears throat> Now, some people go their entire lives in search for an explanation for what ails them. They don't really know what it is, but something is not right. And I would argue that that is the same spiritually. We all have a sense that this is not how things are supposed to be. Life is somehow wrong. There's almost like a glitch in the software. It goes on, life goes on, yet somehow it's broken at some deeper existential level, something mysterious that you may not be fully able to articulate. You may have tried to tune it out from time to time with entertainment and all kinds of other distractions to avoid it, busying yourself with work and family, yet there is this persistent stain, like, like a grease mark on the wall. No matter how many times you paint over it, it just keeps shining through in the end. You just can't seem to get away from it. You can't shake this perception that you have that this is not the way things are supposed to be. How many of you guys just look around for a few moments and you feel those effects? And as much as I appreciate Sarah being here, what she does every day is an effect that something's not right. That we have to have a domestic abuse awareness month is terrible. This Past week, we had a prominent Christian pastor make some ridiculous comments about a particular woman, but women in general. Whatever happened to common courtesy? Whatever happened to disagreeing and yet honoring somebody made in the image of God? Whatever happened to that? We had maybe... The millennial crew knows about this. Maybe all you know about this. But Kanye West came out with an album on Thursday night, Jesus is King. If you haven't heard it, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty good. But, but here's, here's what I've been thinking about the last couple of days. Sure, Kanye has a past. Kanye West has not been a saint all his life. But apparently Jesus really has done something in his heart the last few months. And who are the biggest critics of what is happening to his life? The church. Man, what is wrong with us? Something is wrong. And I could, I could go on as we feel those effects that something is not how it should be. There are I know many of your stories in this very room of things that are happening in, in mom and dad and 
kid relationships and marriages. I know many of your struggles with, with, with sickness and pain. Something is not right. It, we feel it. Some of you have felt it. Moms, dads, on the car on the way to church this morning. <clears throat> we feel this effect Everywhere. Things are not the way that they are supposed to be. So what is going on? What is the accurate diagnosis? Well, I would argue that verse 21 provides us at last with an accurate diagnosis. Look at it in your Bibles. Paul reminds the Colossian believers who they once were. He takes them back and says, here's the problem. Here is the diagnosis. This is who you used to be. This is what affects every person in the world. This is why things are the way they are. This is who they were. Verse 21 says this. We, they were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Now think about those phrases each. Here is God's diagnosis of the human condition apart from Jesus. Here is what's really wrong. Here is perhaps what you have struggled to put your finger on and find words for these three things. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. No, no wonder things are broken all around us. It is it is. A difficult diagnosis to hear, but until you face up to the diagnosis, the true and accurate diagnosis, we will never find the remedy that we need, that people around us need to help. So what is the diagnosis? First, Paul says that we were alienated from God. This diagnosis helps us understand people that we encounter day by day by day. We were alienated from God. That's what our sin has done. We have been shut out from fellowship and intimacy with God. That's what that means. Another word would be estranged or divorced or separated. We have been isolated. Some of you know what it feels like to be estranged from a family member. How many of you guys feel that pain? You know what it you know what that feels like to be to be separated, to be isolated from a family member. Alienation has etched itself into the life of your family, and there is this constant open wound. It is like a heavy weight that just kind of sort of sits on your chest. It doesn't go anywhere. It is like a dark cloud that is always there on the horizon. That relationship has been fractured and you have not been able to affect reconciliation. It's painful. It's hard. It hurts. Paul says that this is precisely how things are between your heart and the God who made you for himself. You were made to have fellowship with him to live in relationship, in communion with him, and yet your sin has alienated you from him, estranged you from the life of God. The original language says that we are in a steady condition and state of alienation from God. This is the default setting of the human heart apart from Jesus' alienation. Now listen, I know that what I'm saying, most of you know these truths. My prayer is that you, by the Spirit of God, would, would, would see these truths fresh. May they impact you. Now, that, that alienation has some symptoms. 
Paul says first that we are hostile in mind. When we talk about our minds, we usually primarily refer to the intellect. Now for, for Paul, however, the mind is much, much broader than that, wider than that. It is, it is shorthand really for the self, the whole of our interior lives, our perceptions, the way we frame our ideas, our worldview, the way we think of ourselves, our self-consciousness, we might say, our, our emotional and our intellectual lives. And Paul says the whole of our inner life is framed and set in a pattern of hostility to God. There is this bent to it. There is this bias to who we are that is said in opposition to God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always mad at God. That's not what Paul means. But deeply woven into the core of our humanity is a bias (coughs) towards redemption, towards rebellion. We don't want to be ruled, do we? We don't want to submit, do we? We want to be independent and have it our way. Can anybody relate to any of those things? This is the individualistic cry of 2019. Hang out with little kids long enough and you will see that we don't have to teach them those things. It's a part of who they are. I I bet you that I know what what the... the most popular toy is in the nursery right now. You know what that toy is? The one the other kid has. <laughs> That's who we are. We don't have to teach them these things. And all the parents said, yes. Listen, I've had conversations with non-Christian friends. So I've tried to engage them with the life of Jesus and the gospel, and they shut the whole thing down, the whole conversation down by saying something like this. You know, I am sorry, but I could never believe in a God who condemns this or who condones that. Anybody ever had a conversation like that? <clears throat> now, in my opinion, this is what they're really saying. When I put God in the stand and prosecute him by my standards of morality. I find God to be unjust and immoral, and I want nothing to do with such a God. I have no room for him. They're saying, I am God, and I decide, and when I stand in judgment over him, I find him not good enough. Why? Because we are alienated hostile in mind. That's what Paul is saying. And guess what? All of that shows up. It is lived out in certain ways. We are prone, Paul says, to evil deeds. We do evil deeds. Alienated from the life of God, hostile in mind, bent towards rebellion, doing <coughs> evil deeds. And isn't it funny, or maybe, maybe interesting is a better word, how the convictions we develop according to which we sit in judgment against the God of the Bible, dismiss his commands in ways as restrictive and harsh and narrow. Those very convictions always seem to align perfectly with the way we already like to live. Our values have been adjusted to validate our lifestyles. But Paul says the truth is, is this 
God is the real judge. He is in control, and he stands over us. We are in the stand, and he is the prosecution. And when evaluated against the standard of his own infinite, pure, and righteous character, the deeds that we may indulge, even celebrate, are found to be evil and are condemned. We pursue them, we, we indulge in them, we, we celebrate them, hoping that by them we find relief and escape, at least distraction, and from, the, from that sense that we know that things are not right. And yet, the farther we pursue them, the worse our sense and awareness of alienation from the life of God becomes. Instead of relief and peace, that gnawing sense of an undiagnosed ailment grows and persists. The truth is, we are natively alienated from God, hostile in mind, rebels doing evil deeds. That's the diagnose. Can you imagine if I said amen right here? Whoa. None of us want to get a call from the doctor with the worst case scenario, do we? Nobody wants to get that call. But it's not unkind when we do get that call. That's the call we need to hear because we will receive the treatment that can rescue us. We can never receive that treatment till we hear how bad things are. Here's the bad news about us. We've been alienated from the life of God. We are rebels against him, and he stands over us as judge and finds our deeds to be evil. That's what's wrong. That's the reason why they all, all, all the isms that contradict the gospel exist. That's the problem, diagnosed. That's who we were. But look at verse 22. There is marvelous good news for alienated, guilty sinners like me, like you. Verse 22 is the remedy. Having reminded them of who they were, Paul reminds the Colossians of who they are now by grace, who God has made them. They were alienated, but now, listen to this big word right here, he has reconciled you. He says, in his body of flesh by his death. When we hear the diagnose of our trouble, our initial instinct is to say, okay, what do I do now? Anybody like that? Tell me how to fix this. Give me the prescription. What pills do I need to take? What words do I got to say? What is the regimen? Give me the work to do. Now, the bad news is that there is nothing for you to do. There is no way for you to fix Things. There's no obedience you might perform, not, no behavior good enough, no ritual you might enact, no words you can say that will remedy your spiritual condition before God. But the good news is he has done it all for you in Jesus that you may be reconciled to him. You can't fix your condition, but he has acted and provided the remedy in his son, Jesus. He has reconciled you. He says to the Colossians, it's the reconciliation is the bringing together of two opposing parties. You were enemies, and now you are children of God, adopted into his family. Not just friends, family in the household of faith, seated at the table. You know, Jesus, God could have saved us by Jesus and made us his little minions, 
But no, he made you a son and he made you a daughter. That is, that is simple truth, but let that truth affect you. The God of heaven loves you like a son and like a daughter. And then he tells us how that reconciliation happened. Look at verse 22 again. It happened, speaking of Jesus, in his body of flesh by his death, which is an interesting phrase, in his body of flesh by his death. Probably Paul has the Colossian false teachers in his mind by using that expression because it was not uncommon in ancient Greek thought to view the body, the material world, as inherently evil. And so perhaps the Colossian false teachers were teaching a view of Jesus that diminished his true and real humanity. It was imaginary, it was false, not real and substantial. It didn't matter. It was evil for them if the body is evil for Jesus to have a body of flesh well that would be a huge problem but whatever they thought Paul is insisting here that the Jesus of whom he spoke in such exalted terms in verses 15 through 20 telling of his glorious godness as creator and savior is also truly fully really human. He is the God-man. He has a body of flesh, and in his body of flesh, our reconciliation was possible by means of his death. By the death of Jesus, we who deserve to die may live. He was cut. He was alienated, as it were, crying out, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we who deserve to be cut off, who are alienated by our sin, might be reconciled. Jesus said goodbye to the Father, came to earth to dwell with us and rescue us, his people. He endured the ultimate separation, the ultimate loss of relationship so that we could say hello to the Father. The sinless sin bearer, God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Reconciliation, that is a big word. There is now a bridge over the chasm. God has opened the way for you to come back to him. There is a welcome for you today because of Jesus. He is the way, he is the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. The way is open. The cross kicked the door wide open. You don't need to live in alienation any second longer, but you can come trusting in Jesus and be welcomed by him. Now, depending on your response to what we just heard, which is things you know, things that you believe, the question could come up, okay, dude, then what? I know this. Now what? What does it mean to live for Jesus? How does the gospel affect me? Well, in the second half of verse 22 and into verse 23, Paul answers that. This is who you were. This is who you are now. And this is how this truth affects your daily life. How do we go on living out the ways of Jesus? 
the Christian life. He tells us in the first half of verse 22 that the cross has this vertical dimension. Okay? It is about reconciling us to God by removing the cause of our alienation, paying the debt our sins have incurred, satisfying the wrath and curse of God that we might be reconciled to him. That's the vertical dimension. But in the second half of verse 22 and into 23, he also tells us the cross has our transformation in view. It's not only about God. Yes, it is about God, but it's also about your heart and your life. Look at what Paul says in verse 22. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. There's the cross in order to present you and me holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We who were once characterized by alienation and separation and isolation from the life of God, hostility in our minds, bent towards rebellion, hostile to his truth, to his character, to his will, and doing evil deeds. But now, those that have been reconciled to God, Jesus is at work in them to change them so that instead of alienation and hostility and evil deeds, there is virtue. There's Jesus-likeness, holiness and blamelessness in a life that is above reproach. People who have been reconciled to God are changed and are being changed. Jesus did not leave you as you were. He didn't die to leave you as you were, but to make you like himself. But listen to this, church. It is not possible to have reconciliation to God in life on your own terms. When you come to receive the forgiveness Jesus gives, you must also be willing to embrace that which he calls you to. His life in his ways. And look at the last part of verse 23 and notice the conditional clause here. Christ died in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Now Paul tells us something remarkable about the way in which virtue, Christ-likeness, holiness, and blamelessness for which Jesus died happens in each of our hearts. The Colossian teachers were seeking to lead the Colossian believers away from Paul's gospel. And Paul is writing this letter to help them stay the course, keeping their grasp firm on Jesus. He wants them to be secure and stable like a tree with roots that are sunk deeply into fertile soil that is immovable, like a ship at anchor in a harbor that is not pulled and drawn out into the ocean when the tide changes, but it is stable and it is not shifting from the hope of the gospel. That is where Paul wants us to be. And so Paul says, virtue Christ-likeness, holiness, a blameless life, and a life that is above reproach happens like this. It happens when the gospel that brought you to Jesus 
is the gospel you stick with and dig down ever more deeply into it and never depart from and apply it with great vigor and faithfulness and honesty and humility to your own heart day by day. As the gospel saturates and penetrates and permeates your life, you begin to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates. Your values change. Your pride is exposed. Your idols are smashed. Your insecurities overcome when you recognize that God who gave his son for you, how will he not also with him graciously give you all things? And so many other rich truths and promises of the gospel as they begin to dominate your thinking and penetrate your heart, your affections, your value system, you begin to be who God has called you to be. How will you grow? Not by moving from the gospel, not by getting past the cross, but by delving even more deeply into the ocean depths of the grace of God for you in Jesus, discovering that however far you may go on in the Christian life, there are riches in Jesus crucified you have yet to discover. There is, there is provision for what yet lies around the next bend in the road for you in the cross of Jesus. You don't pass, you don't move past the gospel. You sink your roots ever more deeply into the gospel. And as you do, that's how you become like Jesus, full of virtue and wisdom and holiness and blamelessness and no compromise. That's how all that Jesus died to provide for you becomes yours in reality. By saying like the old song, simply to the cross I cling. It is by saying... All other ground is sinking sand. By saying, you are all that I need and I rest in you. Paul is inviting you and me with this. Park here. Park in the shadow of the cross. Never move. Stay here. Stick here. And as you do, the Lord will make you like his son. Behold him. As you do that, you'll be transformed by the work of the Spirit. Remember the message translation? Stay grounded and steady. Stay grounded and steady in that bond of trust, constantly tuned into the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. There is no other message. A few weeks ago, theologian Brittany Gresset <laughs> did the benediction for us. And I've thought about that ever since. The message of Colossians is about Jesus. This is what Brittany said. This is why we never move from the gospel. Because of Jesus, <coughs> we pray. Because of Jesus, our lives are worth something. Because of Jesus, we can have power, patience, and endurance through the Spirit of God. Because of Jesus, we are qualified. Because of Jesus, we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. Because of Jesus, we have an image to bear. Because of Jesus, we can be peacemakers. Because of Jesus, we know what it looks like to serve. Because of Jesus, being disciplined in our faith is not without purpose and brings us joy. 
Because of Jesus, the believer's flesh no longer rules them. Because of Jesus, our debt is paid. Because of Jesus, the power and authorities of this world are completely overshadowed by the cross. Because of Jesus, in what we have heard about him, we can have discernment. Because of Jesus and because of what he did, our lives are forever intertwined with his. Because of Jesus, we know what compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience looks like. Because of Jesus, we know what love is. Because of Jesus, we are free to soak in his message, teach and admonish one another with wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit with gratitude in our hearts. Because of Jesus, he demonstrated to us how to make the most of every opportunity. Because of Jesus, we know how to be an encouragement and comfort to one another because Jesus has encouraged and comforted us. Because of Jesus, our relationships with one other believers are easily connected. We don't move from the gospel. That's where we park. I'm almost done, you guys. So you guys can hang on. Let me say a couple more things. Tim Keller said this, and I want you to listen to this. It affected me all week since I read it. Tim Keller said this. One of the most startling passages in our Bible connects the magnificence of angels with the mystery of the gospel. This is the verse he's talking about. 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was <coughs> to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen to this last line. Even angels long to look into these things. That's the verse Keller References. Then he says this, although angels are incredibly majestic and powerful beings living in God's eternal presence, there is something that has happened on earth which is so stupendous that even these immortal beings experience the persistent longing to look into these things. What are these things that could possibly and consistently consume the attention of God-fixated creatures? Are you following that? What, what are these things that could possibly and consistently consume the attention of God-fixated creatures? The gospel. The angels never get tired of looking into the gospel. This means there is no end to gospel exploration. There are depths in the gospel that are always there to be discovered and applied not only to our ministry in daily Christian life, but above all to the worship of the God of the gospel with renewed vision and humility. The underlying conviction in Keller's preaching, pastoring, and writing is, what the go- is that the gospel, this eternally fascinating message craved by the angels can change a heart, a community, and the world when it is recovered and applied. Last thing from Keller. It is one thing to understand the gospel, but it's quite a different one to experience the gospel in such a way that it fundamentally changes us and becomes the source of our identity and security. It is one thing to grasp the essence of the gospel, but it is quite another to think out its implications for all of life. We all struggle to explore the mysteries of the gospel on a regular basis, but we should strive to immerse ourselves in it and allow its message to influence our daily life.
We never move from the gospel. We must saturate ourselves and be focused on the gospel. Can I just give you a few practical suggestions? How can you do that? How can you remain focused on the gospel? How can you constantly remind yourself of what this incredible Jesus who is preeminent first in creation and salvation, how, is, how, how can you remember what he did for you and how can that affect your life? The first thing I would encourage you to do is this. This might sound weird, but preach the gospel to yourself daily. Sit yourself down. Grab your attention and say, self, listen up. This is what matters most today. You have been forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted by God. You have hope. And your hope is based on the sacrifice of Jesus. No matter what you do today, no matter what comes your way, this will not change. Let's not view this day or any other day a different way. Let this day be governed by this one defining truth. Now listen, there is a huge difference between listening to yourself and preaching, and preaching to yourself. Now, I am not against self-introspection. That is a good thing. But if you're like me, oftentimes that little voice in my head is saying things that it shouldn't say. Telling me things about myself that I should not believe. So I got to remind myself, self, that's not who you are. This is what the gospel says. Have you, have you ever heard of, you know, I love those Psalms of, you know, David. Dave talking to himself. Why are you so downcast, oh my soul? Wake up. This is who Jesus says you are. So preach to yourself. Really, ask yourself these questions. If you are an HG leader, write these questions down. Ask yourself these questions. Ask your people these questions. How, what, what good or what, what benefit would it bring to your soul, to your, to your mind, to your emotions, to your desires, to daily remind yourself of the doctrine of election? And just let that sink in for a second. That might be weird, but just let, just the thought that God chose you. How could that affect goodness into your life? Take that further. How, this is another question. What, what good could come from or what benefits could come to your life by preaching to yourself daily the reminder of the doctrine of the incarnation? As you go to work, as you engage with mom, dad, as you engage with husband, wife, that you are making the invisible Jesus visible, just as Christ incarnated himself. What about, what about the, res the atonement that Jesus died for you? How, how could that affect our relationship with people? By putting them first, by you know, hus husbands, let's, let's pick on you for a second. You know, you know what Paul's command for husbands is in Ephesians 6? Die 
daily to love your wife. <laughs> Whoa. That's, a, that's huge. Die daily like Jesus. How, how would the reminding ourselves of the atonement, the sacrifice of Christ, transform your life daily? How you interact with people? What, what, about, what about the resurrection and the ascension, the victory of Jesus? How would that affect? What goodness might that bring to your life? What about the truth that you are a new creation? What, what goodness might that bring to your soul today? And what about the, the return of Jesus? You are not going to be left alone. He's coming back for you. So preach the gospel to yourself. Second, second thing I would say to you is memorize the gospel. If, if, you, if you don't know where to start, Go find your HG leader. Go find one of the pastors. Let us give you some, some gospel-packed Bible truth to, to, to think through and memorize and let it permeate who you are. The, the third thing is pray. Super deep there. Pray. But I'm serious. Pray. Here is the truth. Because of Jesus, you have access to God the Father. Pray. Continually ask the Spirit of God to open your eyes and make the gospel alive again. Pray. Practice the presence of God. I, I printed out <coughs> this, this is sheet of paper right here. Okay? It's got five prayers. One, two, five prayers. Tim Keller's Five prayers in how he practices the presence of God. One when he wakes up, one before he goes to work, one at midday, one at the end of a workday, and last one before he goes to bed. Pray. You have access to God because of what Jesus has done for you. Pray. These are in the welcome bus if anybody wants them. There's like 30 or 40 of these pages. Go grab one. Pray. Be in constant connection with God because of Jesus. You know, you know what my... One of the things that I prayed through this week as I am, was battling a, a, a wrong belief. I'm writing this message and I'm thinking, gosh, why can't I come up with something more, you know, new and sexier? Why can't I do that? That's what I was thinking. But what's wrong with me? We don't move from the gospel. I have to tell myself that again and again. Dude, no, stop it. Don't listen to yourself right now, Louise. Stop it. This is what we need. The, the next thing we could do is this. Sing the gospel. You'll listen. I don't know how to sing very well, but I, I like singing. Sing the gospel. You know, we, we'll, we'll create a Spotify playlist for all of us. But we can sing constantly these rich gospel truths that we may think on them and let them affect us. Next thing, take time to reflect this week how the gospel has transformed you. Think of who you were Years ago, think of who you are now. We're not, we're not finished yet, but let that encourage you. Let that challenge you. <clears throat> Study the gospel. There are books, podcasts, sermons, Bible. Study the gospel. Make, make a practice to see the world through a gospel lens. Ask yourself this question. Because of the gospel, 
What are the practical implications for my hospitality, how I interact with my neighbors, for how I, I offer and ask for forgiveness, for my generosity, for my, 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 uh, my singleness, for my marriage, for my parenting, for my approach to conflict, for how I approach a dating relationship, for my anxiety, for, for provision, for, for my work? Because of the gospel, what implications are there for those things? Ask yourselves those questions. Think through those things. Let the story of Jesus transform you in us. And may we also be a people who is continually telling the story of Jesus. May we be known as storytellers. Jesus is who your heart needs. According to Paul, Jesus is who your neighbors, co-workers, family, friends, child, spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend needs. May we be about engaging people with his life through our life. Just like I wrestled with this week, we may think that maturity, growth, flourishing means discovering new and exciting truths. No, I think there is a place for that. But, 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 but the, the bottom line is this. Maturity, growth, flourishing really is learning to fathom the depths that are there in Jesus, whom God has given for the good of your soul and your flourishing. And may God lead us, each of us, back to him to nourish us with him, the bread of heaven, to satisfy our thirst by drinking him in who is the fountain of living water, by resting on him who gives us true rest who is everything our hearts need. May God be gracious to us to help us park in the shadow of the gospel and never move. Let's pray. Can I ask us to pray today <coughs> a couple things? Can I ask you us to pray that people would come to know Jesus and experience life in him? I would encourage you right now to even think specifically of people that you know that need Jesus. Can we also pray that our church would grow through conversion, people giving their lives to Christ? Can we pray for opportunities to share the story? Can we pray that each, can we pray for each other? and for our church that we would not shift from the gospel, but that we would build and be transformed by it. Those are a few prayer points for us today. Let's pray. Jesus, there is none like you. You know, as we think of what we read in Colossians last week, there you are powerful, majestic, beautiful, You are first. You are God. There is none like you. You are <clears throat> not safe, but you are incredibly good. You are the king. Jesus, that's who you are. And, and not only that's who you are, you, you have done something for us. We, we were dead, and you've rescued us. You've transformed us. You've reconciled us. And now you are at work in our lives to change us. I pray, Jesus, 
that we would be a people who does not shift from the gospel, but that we would build, that we would be built, that we would grow, that we would flourish and be transformed by the gospel. May we consider daily the implications of the gospel to our lives. Help us to not move from the gospel. We pray, Jesus, for opportunities this week to share the story of Jesus, to engage people with his life through our lives. We pray for opportunities, God, to, to, uh, to, to, to make the invisible Jesus visible this week. We pray that our church would, would grow, not, not from church transplants, but by new birth. There are people who need Jesus. We pray that you would help us to be known as storytellers, Lord. Help us to be a people who, who are focused on the gospel. Who don't move from it, but who are transformed by it and who flourish and grow because of it. And now we're going to respond. We're going to sing. Because this truth of the gospel is so beautiful that it demands we sing. I pray this in Jesus' good name. <coughs>